Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Dan Fleischman, the youngest founder of a public company in history. And if you want to learn the skill of adding value to others, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we have a very special treat. Dan Fleischman joins us on the show. Dan is the youngest founder of a publicly traded company in history. So he trademarked the phrase, who's your daddy, when he was 17 years old and made a licensing deal with Starter Apparel for $9.5 million or so. And then he turned that into the who's your daddy energy drink, which he took public at age 23. And then a few years later, after he resigned as president of that company, he started an online poker company where he saw a lot of success until the U.S. government shut down that entire industry overnight. So now he is an angel investor, a consultant. He owns part of 30 different companies. He helps people gain massive followings on Instagram. He throws charity poker events that have people like Steve Aoki, Ludacris, Vin Diesel, Dan Bilzeri, and others in attendance. And he's actually throwing a huge event in a couple of weeks in L.A. on September 1st that's featuring a list of speakers that includes Ed Milet, Andy Frisella, Brad Lee, Lewis Howes, Cole Hatter, Mark Lack, Ty Lopez, um, many, many, many other rock stars of the business world. So if it's possible for you at all, you should definitely be at this event. Just go to elevatorbootcamp.com, elevatorbootcamp.com to get a ticket. It's only $500, which is crazy for a lineup of all those different speakers that are going to be there um, all packed out in a day. Plus at the end of the night after eight o'clock, they're going to move all the chairs aside and whiz 
Khalifa is going to be performing after the speakers are done just for Dan's birthday. So get there, get there, get there, elevatorbootcamp.com, and I will see you there. But for now, enjoy my chat with Dan Fleischman. Dan, super stoked to be here with you, man. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here too. So I want to get into some really good networking stuff with you because you are a master and a genius at that. But to build some context, let's kind of go back all the way to the beginning. So I want you to kind of talk about how you're brought up, childhood, and then what led you into the next part of your life. So born in Russia, we escaped essentially to get here when I was six months old. By four years old, I was working on the swap meet selling baseball cards and comic books. And my parents had like a Levi's jean and they just opened up their van doors and we'd sell Levi's jeans at the swap meet every weekend. And I would hustle to get my baseball cards and comic books. And is this, is this what your parents did like full time? So when we first got here, they had no money at all. Okay. And they got to open up their first Levi's jeans store. Remember Incredible Hulk? Yeah. Lou Ferrigno? So there's pictures of me like crying on his shoulder because every single pair of jeans he bought and ripped in every single episode was from us. Oh, no way. And so he was always at the store and I didn't, you know, he he always messed with me and I was a little baby, four year old, five year old. Anyways, so... I think that's where I got my initial hustle and drive was just literally on the swap meet, hustling and trading cards and comic books. Once they got divorced when I was eight, we moved to San Diego. My brother stayed with my dad. And when I got to San Diego, again, my mom didn't have any money. And I just went into hustle mode. Eight years old. We were living in like a 90-year-old lady's extra bedroom, the two of us together. And I had to do stuff. So I started selling candy at school. And I would... My mom would finance me. She'd give me 10 bucks. I get to buy cereal boxes at Costco. And I would flip those to $26 and then flip, flip, flip. And I would do that every week. You know, what's really interesting, sorry to cut you off, but what's really interesting to me is a lot of times when I speak with people who were raised uh, the way that you were raised is there's a lot of hustle, but a lot of times there's also like limiting beliefs about money and about people that have money. Did you have any of those? Or was it always just like, I'm not really worried about anybody else. I'm just going to hustle and find my own way. Yeah, what's interesting is when I got to high school, my partner, when I first started Who's Your Daddy, the clothing company, mm. his family ran a $200 million a year company. Wow. So I'm in high school and he's got a Cadillac Escalade and a brand new Camaro <laughs> and then a Corvette. <laughs> and we're 16 years old. Yeah. Right. He has all these cars. And I have my 1982 Buick Regal. <laughs> and we mostly drove in my car, <laughs> which was the most strange part. That is odd. Yeah. He always had two or three cars and they were so sick. And I was like, and to me, that part wasn't inspiring me. I never then bought a fancy car. Hmm. Even when we started making money, I didn't buy stuff like that. It was just a factor of like, I wanted to work my butt off and I had to because I had to save up money for college. So 16, 17 years old, we decided we're going to trademark the catchphrase, who's your daddy for 300 products and start off with clothing. What time period was this? So 1999. 1999. Okay. So, so I, back when who's your daddy was like... Oh yeah. All over the place. So we trademarked the name and... I took all the $43,000 I'd saved up from high school because I was working three jobs, selling peanuts and Cracker Jacks in the stadium, working at Ruby's Diner as a host, and then working for a stockbroker under the table for 20 bucks an hour. I was just working as much as I could and still selling candy and cereal boxes at the school. That's actually how I met my partner. He was my best customer because he was so rich. He he would buy it for himself and a bunch of girls. He would just buy out my whole collection and give it out to people. And it was great for me. Anyways. (laughs) so. We get to Las Vegas for Magic, which is actually going on, the clothing convention. Okay. And we go to the Magic clothing convention. We're 17 years old at the time. And you can't even get in because you have to be 21, let alone 18. So we make fake business cards out of a vending machine at a local grocery store. We had to do whatever we could to get in. Go set up a little booth, our little 10-foot by 20-foot booth, right next to FUBU, whose booth was like the whole walkway. That's and hilarious. And it was just, that was the start. And so it was always just like the ability to look 
long-term and see something big out of it? Like did, like when you were first starting that whole licensing thing, was it always like, man, this is going to become something huge? Or was it always just like, I'm just going to hustle right now and then figure out the next thing? Yeah, everything was step-by-step for us. It was never like, oh, we're going to be billionaires off of this or that or that. Whether it's a clothing line, a poker site, whatever I had started, we'll get to that. But I never was trying to be the biggest of those. Yeah, I started clothing, a poker site. I was never going to be the biggest poker site in the world. I just want to be the coolest one. Hmm. I started an energy drink. There's 900 drinks. I never wanted to be or expected to be the biggest energy drink in the world. I just want to be the best tasting one. Hmm. And we won flavor of the year back to back years. So, well, I guess we'll dive into that later, but I don't look at the things as just like this. I have to become a billionaire from something. Yeah. I look at it as doing as much as I can to create the success of that time and looking mostly at what my competitors do right and wrong. Hmm. So I'm obsessed, like really obsessed with studying my competitors. If I invest into a company, I'm obsessed with studying the market and their competitors before I invest hmm. because you learn so much from both the positive and the negative. Yeah. And then I get almost like a stalker. I start looking at all the comments and reviews that are happening on their social media, on their Googles, Yelp reviews, whatever it is in their market. I'm just looking at what do people say? Is it too expensive? Is it too cheap? Does it take too long to get shipped? What is it about them that makes them good or bad? Hmm. And so I think my whole life, I just kind of had this whole epiphany yesterday. We were doing a mastermind event. Yeah. And while I was doing this talk, we were talking about the fact that I was just reverse engineering each product or company that I started or invested in by looking at what the competitors did right and wrong Hmm. obsessively. Yeah. And then that seems like a fantastic way to do it because they've already done a lot of the groundwork, meaning that they've already tested the idea and shown that there's a market for it and people are buying their stuff. But then you can come in and be like, well, there's, you know, of all the negative reviews that they had on X amount of review sites, it was... Of you know, a certain percentage of them were about this certain problem. So if I can come in and create a solution to that problem to something that matches their quality, right. then I can take some of that market. So I'll give you a good example with the hoverboard space. Hmm. I saw a fifteen hundred dollar hoverboard and hmm. an eighteen hundred dollar hoverboard. So I decided I was going to make one for half the price. What else was wrong with them? There was no features. So I added Bluetooth speakers into it. Their batteries sucked. So I got a ninety three dollar battery. To give you context, their batteries cost twelve dollars. Wow! So ninety three dollars. Normally, a twelve dollar and eighteen dollar would be a big difference. Twelve dollars to ninety three dollars. That's crazy. Okay. So I looked at it and said, oh, I'm going to make it half the price. Add Bluetooth speakers. Have 118 celebrities, influencers post about it. Make it cool. And we did 5.4 million in sales in four months, spending zero dollars in marketing because it was the coolest product to have during that fad. Right. But what did I really do? I just saw, hey, it's too expensive. Hey, it's not cool enough. Hey, it needs to do more stuff. And I just fixed the problems of what they had and improved on it. Yeah. And that's what made us stand out. That's what made us get into retail. We were getting $900,000 orders from Zoomies, the chain store, over and over every three weeks. Like It was just a real physical product that was better than competition. Right. I didn't invent the hoverboard space. I just made it better. better. Right. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. 
You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. And it seems like you did a lot of that throughout your career. So going back to the Who's Your Daddy thing, it's crazy to me hearing this story that Who's Your Daddy wasn't trademarked up to that point. It's insane. Like when when you went and searched for it, were you just like blown away that nobody had trademarked that phrase? It was mind blowing because the name was so popular at the time. There was already a song from the seventies that was already really big. There was already like major, there was movies. There was just so many things utilizing the name and none of the trademarks were there yet. So we just trademarked everything, every class we could in five different continents. And we ended up with 300 different classes of trademarks. I mean, we were just like, we had to get it all. We didn't know we needed that. My older brother and my partner's father told us what we needed to do that. Hmm. So now I'll give you the fast forward version. 18 to 22, we did the clothing side of things. We licensed it out to Starter Apparel, the guys that own Starter Apparel brands in the UK for $9.5 million. That helped us with all of the bad stuff along the way. Hmm. So my whole ride was not a perfect uphill Right. You know, there's roller coasters. It rarely is. <laughs> yeah. Anybody that says it's not a roller coaster is lying. Right. So that royalty came in every quarter. That helped with all the roller coasters along the way. Then we started selling to a bunch of department stores in the US and a bunch of chain stores. And then when I was 22 and 23 is when we decided to start the energy drink mm. under the same name. Because out of the 900 drinks, they all tasted like cough syrup. They had that thick taste to them. Yeah. So we went and said, who makes a really good tasting drink? Gatorade. So I went and found the chemist from Gatorade, hunted him down, and this 70-something-year-old white-haired man came in and put all these cups on the table. He said, if you can find the drink that I think you should have, we'll do a licensing deal. And if you guys do $1 million in sales, I'll let you have the green tea version, which wasn't on the table. Wow. My very first cup that I grabbed is a cranberry pineapple. Okay, there's, there's 16 cups on the table, and I say, this is it. He's like, you don't want to test any of the other ones? My partner tastes the one I tasted. He's like, no, that's it. It wasn't like a scam. He wasn't setting us up. They were actually all different flavors because I could see the colors. Wow. That was it. So we we got it from him and we did the million sales really fast because I just got in the car and was in full-fledged, no sleep mode. I went and saw Budweiser to be our distributor, Coors, Miller, Pepsi. At the same, every single day I would go see car washes and Costco's and 7-Elevens and restaurants and nightclubs, anything I could do. I was just selling to anybody and everybody. So we took it public that next year Wow. when we were 23 years old and- we raised $3.75 million in one day, which at that time frame was a big deal. Nowadays, you hear all these crazy funding rounds. In 2004 or five, whenever this was, this is like a much different time. So we raised that money and we went for it. You know, we got into 43 distributors and 55,000 retail stores in America. And I just, the next couple of years, I just was in the car or on an airplane going. There was no social media then. Right. 
right. just didn't exist. You know, right. so it was just pure drive and hustle and hustle. Yeah. yeah. How active was your business partner in all of this too? Was he like always like right next to you? You guys were doing everything together. Was he funding a lot of it? How did that work? So he was actually never our investor. Okay. My mom put in the initial money. Really? My mom made twenty four grand a year, and his dad ran a two hundred million dollar company. Hmm. His dad did loan to us multiple times. Okay. Small stuff, fifty k, hundred k. Get through something, pay him back. Gotcha. Hey, we got an order from Costco for two hundred grand. It's almost like factoring. Like he'll yeah, loan yeah. us the eighty grand to do it. We'll pay them back. His dad was amazing, by the way. But we weren't always in the same car because I was always going for the sales, hmm. and he was running the ship. He okay. was back at the office running okay. the ship, and he would do some of the high level meetings. He would go whenever it was West Coast stuff. He would go. But it was just for me, I just wasn't going to sleep. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had a pretty good energy drink to take. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how did your mom feel about all of this? Obviously, like her raising you in her trying to just make ends meet all the time. And she was a hustler herself, obviously, and doing what she does, going from making twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 a year and then seeing her son come in and start making that kind of income on like a weekly, monthly basis. What was her role in all of this? So I actually hired her multiple times because she's... She was so good at the overarching things that we needed. And like she helped write the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. Like she was in there, which I never talk about, but she basically helped change the stock market and helped change how people take companies public. Wow. Where um, was she working? She was working for, I think it's called Spa War. It's one of the big security firms, wow. security defense companies. So she was working as like in the real estate space for many mm. years, but then she got her government clearance and she was like, it was mind boggling to watch how it yeah. evolved because she did it so late in her life. Yeah. So she's working with a lot with the SEC and then it's pretty good timing when you're trying to take a company public. Yeah. Right. So you guys bring her on to do some she, of that. She was basically a consultant for us to help make sure we did things properly. Okay. It's almost like... Not getting yourselves in trouble. Yeah. Basically. More like a corporate HR, not like dealing with the staff, but more like right. dealing with real life publicity. And How did that feel for you to be able to... So my brother still to this day does all my accounting. Oh, really? And... You know, he was the chief financial officer or an accountant or overseeing anything I did. I was always trying to get him involved, never full time because he had his own accounting firm. Okay. And he's a CFO of a large company for the last 16 years. So he's older? Yeah, 13 years older. Oh, wow. So it's very fascinating. Like, we both idolize each other. Like, I want the white picket fence and two kids like he has. And he married the girl fresh off the boat. Like, he gave her the tour when she got off, when she landed from Russia. He gave her the tour of the college campus and they've been married ever since. No way. Yeah. Wow. So I like that for him. And then for he sees me and he's like the wild entrepreneur right, traveling the right. world and doing throwing events. Like he just sees that. And we both want the other side, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. Yeah, grass is always greener yeah. no matter where you are. Right. Yeah, no matter what you're doing. Because I find myself doing the same thing. I'm nowhere near the level that you are at, but like definitely that same thought process of like, man, it'd be so much easier and so much less stressful and so much cooler just to go like work a job and like get a paycheck. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. And then when I leave work, I get to like put my phone down right. and like watch a game right. with my boys right. and drink a beer. And then like, that's it, yeah. you know? I've thought about it a lot. I know a lot of times, because I've gotten a lot of offers to be the CEO of I'm sure. very fascinating companies, like mm -hmm. household name companies. And I've thought about it, like, should I just take the job? Mm -hmm. Whether I make more or less by doing that, I just, the stress level goes so far down because my whole life, if I don't work, people don't eat. Right, exactly. Like my staff is financially supported by me and their families are supported by me. And it's been like that my whole life. I've never mm -hmm. had a time where it wasn't. So I've, I've looked back in my life and I thought about it a few times. Like, what if I just said, yes, I'll be the executive of this huge mobile app or huge gaming site or huge whatever. Yeah. I won't have that entrepreneurial bug being scratched at that time. 
or the itch, whatever. Yeah. But it would be so much easier. It would be so much easier. Yeah. Why do you think that that's something that you never, is it just like literally mentally, you just, man, I can't chain myself I, down to something? I could have a job if I was working for somebody realistic. Hmm. And the problem is I work too fast for corporate environments. Hmm. And I don't fit well for corporate environments. Not that I don't play nice with others because I'm fine with them. I, I have my own corporate environment, but I'm just relentless about getting stuff done. And large corporations are very slow. Right. A lot of red tape. And I've consulted for four large casinos. I've consulted for one of the biggest financial firms in the world. Consulting is different. Hmm. Consulting is you don't have a punch card to like, I often think about it like, what if I just said yes? Yeah. Because there's some of the companies have become some of the biggest names in history. Right. I never talk about this, but it's, it would be a completely different life path. Yeah. And I don't feel like I have the entrepreneur bug as much anymore. I feel like it's just a game now. Yeah. If just I, a big yeah. like overview of life is just kind of a chess match that you're, there's just always something else to like go figure out and yeah. beat or do better at, or I'm doing so many more companies now investing in so many more companies now and throwing so many more events now and my charity events more every aspect of my life. I'm doing more and more and more, but I don't feel like I have that bug to do it. Hmm. Like I don't have to do it. Like if I had a child today and X amount of dollars, I could stop. I would still be investing and still like be a part of the game. Mm-hmm. But I don't have that itch the way I used to. Like, yeah, I feel like even when I had something, when you were hawking energy drinks for yeah. like 24 hours a day. Yeah. And even when things fail, like the online poker site did amazing, but then all of a sudden black Friday happened. Online poker was shut down in America. People always ask me, are you going to start the poker site again? No, I don't have the itch to do it again. Mm-hmm. Even though we built a great name, it'd be fun to do it again. I don't have that urge to do it again. I feel like I checked that off my entrepreneur list of what, like start an energy drink, started a poker site, yeah, invested in a bunch of companies. I feel like I did those things. Now it's more the game of like, okay, how do I do something really big and how do I help more people? Yeah. Would you do a lot of different charity work and stuff like that too, right? Can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to right now? Yeah. So we're about to have our seven year anniversary of Model Citizen Fund. We make backpacks for the homeless with 150 emergency supply items inside. It's a 0% charity. So I cover all the overhead, all the cost, all the staff, all the marketing, all the events. I pay for absolutely everything. So if a hundred bucks comes in, hundred bucks goes to backpacks. That is something I'll be doing for the rest of my life. And it's a very simple because whether people want to donate for one backpack or a hundred backpacks or a thousand backpacks, we can ship it right to their homes or we'll go deliver for them or ship it right to homeless shelters or teen abuse shelters or orphanages. Yeah. The charity is my passion project. That's just, I integrate it into everything. And then we throw partnership charity events with people. So like yesterday we did the back to school supplies drive for 400 families. Oh, wow. So I have a bunch of influencers and friends come in and we bring in a, just tens of thousands of supplies to give out to kids. And these same 400 families come in every single year. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how affluence or having money or seeing success has helped you to create just like a way larger impact as far as like, I know there's a lot of people that disparage entrepreneurs and say, basically, like if you make more than X amount of you know, dollars a year, you're greedy and you should, you don't, you don't deserve anything. And like, you should give it out to everybody else. And you know what I mean? Like, so can you talk a little bit about breaking down those? Yeah. Walls I think, that I think people that are mad at the 1% are insane. Yeah. Listen, there's a different type of 1%. There's the 1% that buy Rolls Royces and then they put gold on the outside and make it a hologram. And then it's dripping with <laughs> Gucci and Chanel and they're, they're flashing seven watches and their private jet hovers. Like what, right? That's a different type of 1%. Right. right. Being mad at people wanting to make money and do better for their family and their kids and their grandkids and their grandkids, like that's insane. Hmm. Being upset that if they just stroke a check to donate to a charity. Yeah. Being mad about that is insane. 
everything about the fact that other people making money and being upset about it is insane to me. Right. Because it's part of the game. It's part of business. It's part of life. But the amount of money people are going to need 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now is way higher than what it is now. Right. People are already don't make the money that they need to to survive. It's expensive. Right. That's the scary thing for me, man. Like being in the generation that I'm in as a millennial and in my 20s, like looking at that as our future. Like that is, I mean, that's the future. Like we can't, we're not going to be able to do what my parents or maybe my grandparents did and work like 40 years at a job and retire off my pension and right. get some money from social security. Like it's not going to be an option. Right. If we even have social security. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which probably we won't. <laughs> inflation is... Inflation isn't stopping, mm-hmm. and the amount of what people make is just not proportionate. The middle class will stay middle or go lower. The rich are just going to get much, much richer because it's so easy to make money once you have money. Mm. And real estate will never stop because we're gaining hundreds of new millions of people a year, right? and not enough people are dying. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I just we're, yeah. <laughs> we're going from 7 billion to 7.2 to 7.4 to 8 billion. Like When we hit 10 billion people, think about what happens to real estate. Right. What happens when we have 12 billion people? Hmm. Because as we get hundreds of millions of more people, what happens? Well, they make, they produce together hundreds of millions of more people. And then 10, or sorry, then 30 years later, they make hundreds of millions of more people. Mm-hmm. And it's a compounding effect that and happens. they all got to live somewhere. And they all want to live here. Right. They all want to live in California. And they want to live in New York and Miami and Las Vegas. Like, look at Las Vegas now and seven years ago. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. It's crazy. If you just look like a, a helicopter photo from above or the space from above of just how many more homes and lights there are, there's a million more lights now. Like we're in the desert. Right. In Las in the, Vegas. Literally the middle of nowhere. Right. <laughs> like It's like an island of things. And then outside of that is just acres and acres and acres and square miles of right. desert. So what happens is the wealthy get much wealthier because of real estate, because of the stock market, because of all the things that happen there, but then also on consumer goods, restaurants, grocery stores, parking lots, cars, gasoline, all the things that we have to consume that are the Mm -hmm. mandatory things we consume, more and more, hundreds of millions of more people are going to be doing that every single year. Mm. And that's going to compound to 8 billion, 9 billion, 10 billion. So wanting to have generational wealth for your family, it's mandatory at this point. Right. And the fact that if you know the middle class can go lower, especially look at San Francisco, you look at the wealthiest people on the planet and that are only going to get wealthier. But then there's people making 120 grand a year living out of their car. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because inflation of real estate there went so insane that it's unsustainable. Yeah. So basically, the more inflation happens and the more the population continues to grow, the fewer amount of people will find themselves in the middle class. Right. Is like middle class is basically disappearing at this point. Yeah. People are becoming millionaires. You're becoming like up in the quote unquote rich right. part of society or you're like going below the poverty line. You're going right? to get by. Right. So how do you prevent yourself from doing that? What are some like... So there's never been an easier time to make more money. Hmm. Doing e-commerce and drop shipping, investing in real estate, buying rental homes. Like it sounds crazy to buy a rental home, they're not as expensive as people think. Right. You don't have to buy a $600,000 house. Mm-hmm. You can buy a $140,000 house, rent it out for a thousand bucks a month. Doesn't sound like much money, but if every year you do that and every two years you do that and you buy another condo, another house, and you just rent them out for 1100 bucks a month and 800 bucks a month, 1500 bucks a month, I'm not talking about $400,000 houses with three grand a month. Mm-hmm. You buy a $140,000 condo and you can't come up with 14 grand, people can. Right. And the problem is too many people are making 50 grand a year and just existing and buying more Supreme. 
Exactly. Yeah. That's the big thing is that you live up to your means instead of living below your means and you want to go buy the new Camaro instead of just getting a used Camry or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about like how living below your means is going to allow some of these people to be able to move on to the next level, quote unquote, of finance? Right. So what happens is the more money you have to work with, whether you're buying cryptocurrency, whether you're investing in real estate, whatever it is to do with that money, or now you put it into your business or yourself, then it can replicate, then it can grow. If you take the money that you're doing, and instead of having a two grand a month apartment, now you have a three grand a month apartment. And instead of having the, the Camry, now you get the BMW, that small change of a thousand bucks a month and 500 bucks a month, that 1500 bucks is 18 grand a year. Hmm. Which is exactly the figure that you were just talking about to buy a piece of real estate right. <laughs> that can possibly put more money in your pocket. Every year. Yeah, for sure. Just by doing that simple thing of not going and I'm not saying to not go to Starbucks because it's four bucks a day. Like, right. I'm not getting that granular. Mm. I'm talking about... Not necessarily on the Dave Ramsey plan of right. financial freedom. Yeah. That's also not living. Right. I'm not saying not to go to Starbucks and have something that you enjoy. Mm. Right. I'm not saying those things. I'm saying you don't need a Benz. Mm. You just don't. Right. I haven't owned a car in four years. <laughs> I literally don't have a car. That's hilarious. It's hilarious to me just because of the people that I know that are out driving $60,000, $70,000 cars when I know I know very well how much, you know, how much they're yeah. making. And it's just like, I don't know if it's just naivety, like they just don't believe that that's coming in the future, or if it's just lackadaisical attitude, like they just don't care. People you know? think that it's never going to stop. Hmm. You know, they work at the nightclub, they make seven grand a month in tips, and they think the nightclub's going to be open forever. Hmm. Yeah. You see it here in Las Vegas the most. Mm -hmm. Bottle service girl comes here, starts making $9,200 in the month and doesn't understand that November, December, and January, the clubs suck. Hmm. And they're closed, basically. And th those months, she's going to make three grand. Right. But her, she still got bills to pay up to seven grand. Yeah. Yes. But right. now her car, instead of 400 bucks, is 1200 because she had to get the sickest one. And then she spent 4500 bucks on wheels and she bought the Gucci bag and the Chanel. And I'm not calling out bottle service girls. I'm just using right. the example of they found something that they could make good money on and think it's going to last forever. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it over and over where people get into something and they think it's going to last forever. And then when it stops, they don't know what to do. Yeah. And they have no savings because they're wearing their savings or they're driving their savings or they ate their savings or they drank their savings. So what do you feel about a side hustle? So I'm the biggest proponent of side hustles. It's absolutely positively the easiest time in history to do it mm -hmm. because you have mobile apps and websites that are provided for you in seconds mm -hmm. for cheap or free. You can start a ClickFunnels site tonight selling podcastmics.com and we can start selling podcast mics that we drop ship from Alibaba tonight. I can go register all the social medias for at podcast mics tonight and go get the trademark if I want to spend money. If I don't want to spend money, I don't get the trademark. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, podcastmics.com that you and I own together launches tonight. And I can do my contract with you for 50-50 deal on legalzoom.com. And by tonight, podcastmics.com is a business. <laughs> and now, instead of spending five grand to do X, Y, and Z, I just take that five grand and actually put it into podcastmics.com for Facebook ads. And I start buying some other ads. Yeah. And if it converts, I spend more. And if it doesn't, I don't like, I can have a business tonight. Right. Whether it's eBay, drop shipping, e commerce, real estate, buying and selling t shirts, flipping stuff. The things that you see Gary Vee talk about, those are real. Mm -hmm. He's just talking about the very small version of it, of, the, of you going and get stuff for free and then right. selling that couch. Right. That works too. But if you want to actually make money, take a thousand bucks and use that as your flipping money. Right. Take four grand, use it as your flipping money. Some of it's still a game to me. Like, I bought 
hundred something pairs of Gary Vee shoes for fun. I gave out 20 or 30 to my friends and staff. And then I have the other ones to flip. Hmm. I don't need to do that. I don't need to flip shoes. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's fun. Yeah. Right. Right. The game is fun. His last shoes, I bought 40 pairs and texted him a picture because I was like, look, I'm, these 40, I'm going to give, I'm going to hold aside. And I actually had 25 get sent to the office that I gave out to my friends again hmm. and some of the staff. Yeah. But those 40 pairs are just for me to hold because Gary is on this path where he's going to get famouser and famouser. They may be worth more. And if they're not, I'll give them away. Right. But what's my risk? Four grand. <laughs> my upside is 10 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand. Right. If they do go to three, four, five, six hundred bucks like they are on eBay already, that's my upside. My downside is nothing. They're right. never going to be worth less than that hundred bucks, but they're always going to be worth something for me to just give away for free or for a contest or whatever. That's the game to me. And if I'm doing it, why wouldn't anybody be doing that? Right. And then people have this idea too, where they have to have money to start it. You know, I have this idea, right? Everybody has an idea. I have this idea to do this, 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 and this, but I need money for that. And I, I'm right now, I'm only able to save like 150 bucks a month because my job is this and my expenses are this. And I bought this other thing and this other thing that I shouldn't have had. And now I don't have any money to do any of that. But what you do have is time, right? So what you're just talking about spend your time to go do some of these things, like go do some of the stuff that you maybe like save the money and use the time. You got to do one or the other. You got to either have some money to spend on it and, you know, you got to pay a VA to go target podcast mics, you know, uh, hashtags on Instagram and follow all these people and get people interested in your stuff. And then, you know, if you don't have money to spend on Facebook ads, maybe you don't spend the money on Facebook ads, but I know because I'm in them, there's like, there's like a hundred podcasting Facebook groups out there. So go join a hundred podcasting Facebook groups. And from 8 p.m. till 11 p.m., just add value, put in content right. in podcasting Facebook groups. And right. then those people come over to your Facebook page and they, they go, oh, he sells podcasting mics. Perfect. I'm looking for a podcasting mic. Absolutely. Or my buddy just started a podcast. Maybe I can hook him up with, yep. with this guy. And it's just, I think it mainly just comes from like a fundamental belief that everything is going to be okay, even if you don't put in the work to make sure that it's okay, which is completely misleading for a lot of people. And I'm not a doom and gloom kind of a guy. Like I'm I'm very positive, but at the same time, I'm a realist. You have to be able to look into the future and be like, look, if I keep going on the path that I'm at right now, maybe best case scenario, I have what, 1.1, $1.2 million in my 401k by the time I retire. Like, what is that? 50K a year for 20 years. Can you live off of $50,000 a year in 40 years from now, probably not, you know, so you're going to have to start, you're going to retire at 65 and then you're going to have to get the side hustle then. So I'd rather have a side hustle now (laughs) and putting away money now that can compound by the time I'm at that age to be able to actually like retire when I want to retire. Sure. The premise about not having the money, that's literally what I wrote the book about. It's called how to set up your business for under $1,000. Perfect. Because people don't need as much money anymore to get started. Yeah. Every single time I autograph a book, I say one thing, just get started. Hmm. Because if we want to start podcastmics.com, we could start it right as we're sitting here. Mm -hmm. Like I could register everything right now, get it set up on Alibaba. And within hours, within hours, you and I would have a 50-50 joint venture business live on social media. I would take pictures of these mics. I would drag and drop pictures off of podcasts. I Google search images. I'd set up a a clickfunnels.com or a Shopify account. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we have a business off of an idea. And guess what? If it doesn't work, what was our risk? Yeah. Three or a couple, four hours. A couple hours. <laughs> right. We didn't even buy the inventory. We didn't. Right. If we wanted to go crazy, we could buy 500 bucks in inventory. Now we have a $500 loss. Right. Max. Max. <laughs> and we could probably then sell those off to, back to somebody. Right. Exactly. It's just not as hard anymore. So what do you think it is? Like, what do you think the big thing is that holds people back from doing it? Themselves. 
They just like people are scared. It's not the lack of desire, right? Most people I talk to, they have a desire to. They do all something. want entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, that's a great term <laughs> they, for it. Everybody wants. To, they all want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Remember, we all want to be rappers, and then rappers <laughs> all want to be basketball players, and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Right. Somehow, the last couple of years, it became cool to become an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is fantastic for all of us. But it, there's so many people that just don't take the actual steps to do it. Mm-hmm. They just read all the books. They listen to all the podcasts and don't implement it. Right. You have to do both because while you're listening to this podcast and every other podcast and while you're reading those books, there's a lot of other hours in the day to actually do stuff. To actually do stuff. Exactly. And everything on the internet is 24 hours. I love the people that brag to me about how crazy their schedule is. Yeah, fake busy. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so like, what was your revenue yeah. last month? And it's like, well, you know, we have this going. It's like, okay, we'll break down your schedule. Like, what have you actually done? Like, what are you talking about? Like, how did you work 16 hours yesterday? Because I have not put in a 16 hour day in a really long time. <laughs> like, tell me exactly what you did. Right. Like, you're not actually doing real work. Like, spending time on social media sometimes does not qualify as work. Sure. Like, what you're doing isn't real work. You're just doing a bunch of stuff to stay busy, but you're not doing anything to actually be productive. You actually have to do stuff that moves the bottom line and moves the money needle, so to speak. Yeah, obviously people have heard the term fake busy. It's never happened the way it's happening now because people just want to photograph them being busy and they want to talk about their meetings. But the problem is they're not efficient at what they're doing. So a lot of times people repeat the same thing over and over. They say, okay, I'm going to do this. I have to do this. But also people are busy with things that don't match their income. Hmm. What I mean by that is if you make... 50 bucks an hour at your job. So let's say you're making six grand a month or seven grand a month. You have a good solid job. Mm. Why would you ever garden the lawn? Yeah. If you can pay 10 bucks an hour or 15 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour, why would you ever garden the lawn if you make 60? Because mm-hmm. if I stood in front of you today and not talking about gardening, I said, hey, for the next hour, I will give you $60, right? Or I said, I will give you $20. Or I'll say, I'll save you $40. Right. Every one of those you think about, like, wait a minute, that's a practical way to look at it. Right. What is my time worth? If you make 60 bucks an hour and you do a 10 or $20 an hour thing, you're physically paying and losing money by doing that. Yeah. And there's setup time prior and there's setup time after or cleanup after. So during that one hour process of mowing the lawn, you've lost money and wasted time. Now, if you just enjoy mowing the lawn and it's Sunday at 11 a.m. and that's just what you want to do, that's fine. Maybe you're not losing money. Mm-hmm. But the inefficiency of what most people do is Monday through Friday they're driving to the dry cleaners. Right. Why did you just spend 94 minutes to go across town to go pick up your dry cleaning and drive back? Why did that happen? Mm-hmm. When there's services to bring it right to you, there's mobile apps to bring it right to you that cost you 30 bucks. Right. I would never pay 30 bucks to get my dry cleaning shipped to me. Oh, you wouldn't? Right. Well, you make 60 bucks an hour. So two hours of your time is $120. You wouldn't pay $30 to get 120? Right. And to remove a stress from your life? <laughs> So the catch is here is that you actually have to be doing stuff during the time that you would be paying, right? Yes. Like, because I think some people use that as an excuse to just like not do anything. Right. And then like during the time where they're supposed to be picking up their dry cleaning or whatever, and they paid somebody else to do it, they're just like watching TV the whole time. Like, well, I make 60 bucks an hour. So, you know, somebody else can get my dry cleaning. And it's like, okay, well, but you're spending that hour watching TV. So you got to actually, which comes back to exactly what we started the conversation with, which is like, you still got to go do something. (laughs) You can't just, can't just sit there. (laughs) Something has to be done. We just never had a space or a time where everything is on a mobile app. Yeah. Everything's on the internet. Right. And everything will come to you. Amazon Prime, Postmates, Lyft, (laughs) Uber, 
all these things, all these features, TaskRabbit, they just all come to you and they all do it so quickly and so efficiently. You know how you can tell it's efficient? Because all those companies I just mentioned are losing money. Hmm. Uber loses $240 million a month because they don't charge enough. Do you know how simple it would be if they just raised the price by $1? That's crazy. They would lose actually zero customers. Like the number would be zero. Out of their 80 million, 200 million, whatever the heck number of customers, they would lose zero Yeah. if they raised it by $1. But it all of a sudden become a break-even company or maybe profitable. Right. The problem in society is we're at this time where it's actually better for them to not be profitable. It's better for Snapchat to be losing money. It's better for Uber to be losing money because their valuations are based on... Their potential. Right. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> That's right. a mind-blowing concept by itself. There's no yeah. business that I invest in or work on that it's not about revenue and right. net, net profits. Not one. I never will. It's got to be a fad. Right, that's got to stop happening because the people investing in these are eventually going to be like, wait a second, we're not getting any money back, right? Well, they do get money back from almost like a Ponzi, even though they're not trying to be a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Each new valuation. Look at the scooter companies right now. Yeah. Why does a scooter company go from a eight million dollar valuation to a hundred to one billion in six months? They don't make money. People renting scooters on the sidewalk in Santa Monica for $2 a mile or $1.20 a mile, mm -hmm. that's not a profitable business. And it never will be. Hmm. So how are they getting a billion valuation half a year after having an $8 million valuation? Half a year. Yeah. It's the fastest bubble insanity I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. And it won't stop because they're getting offers for bigger numbers. That's ludicrous. And they can't even produce enough scooters. And even when they do, it doesn't matter because they don't net margin. They don't net profit anything. That's so gross. We're running out of time here. I do want to get into a couple of things before we sign off. One of them is poker. So I find it fascinating that you play a lot of poker. Can you talk a little bit about, first of all, why or how you got into that, but then also some skills that you've taken from that and applied to the business world that have helped you out tremendously? Sure. So right when I was 18 on my birthday, I started playing poker because my family, my aunt and uncle owned a small poker room and my dad and mom would play. Then my aunt became a dealer in Los Angeles at the casino. So I was just always around it. Mm. And I became obsessed with it. And when I was 18, I'd already started making money because of we just got that big licensing deal. Okay. So I would fly to Vegas on the weekends when I could. And then when I was 21, I would come often because I wasn't really allowed to play when I was 18. I would play like the Indian casinos and things like that. But I would play in some of the home games from 18 to 21. And since I was 21, I was just obsessed with it. When I resigned from the Hoosier Daddy Company after 10-year anniversary... On the 10-year anniversary, when I was 27 years old, I resigned so I could start an online poker site. So I became very, very deep into the field because of the online poker site. Mm. And we had built one of the largest brands in the poker site, signing all different types of characters. I had 21 poker pros, but then I also signed Dan Bilzerian, DJ Steve Aoki, Sarah Underwood, a Playboy Playmate. So I mixed up the poker players with a Playmate, a famous DJ, and a, how would I describe Dan Bilzerian? A fun, <laughs> a fun social media star right. uh, that was very fascinating to watch, right? right? So mixing those characters together and having a poker site got us a lot of press. And again, this is before social media got big. This is still YouTube and Twitter days. Hmm. This is 2009, 10, 11. Okay. So we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have, we had Facebook, but not, not big pages. Right. So I was getting 6 million views on a YouTube video back then, which is big now, but 6 million back then is like 100 million. Like right. it was insane to get 6 million views. We would put out a, a video with models or a video with Bilzerian blowing something up and we would get a million views, two million views like in a week. Wow. And again, without having big ways to disseminate it, we didn't have, nobody had huge Twitter followings. Nobody had anything big to get it out there. Mm. It's just, there wasn't as much content as there is now. Mm -hmm. 
So the poker space, I was obsessed with it. I loved it. I still play poker all the time. But the business side of it is the networking, yeah. which is what your show's about. I play in high-stakes poker games and mid-stakes poker games to meet the people. Hmm. The home games that I play in or the casinos that I play in for the bigger games, you're surrounded by NBA players, famous comedians and actors, hedge fund managers. The reason I throw so many charity poker events is I like the people that come there. Hmm. I threw a charity poker event a few weeks ago for, during the ESPY Awards. And you have hedge fund managers, movie producers. I'm still interested in meeting the other business people from every level, Yeah, but it's fascinating. It's like the new golf course. Absolutely, because anybody can play. An 82-year-old hedge right. fund manager or an 82-year-old woman that's retired and just whatever, they can all play on the on the poker table and have a fighting chance. Right. Over the long term, they don't have a fighting chance versus the poker pro, right? Mm -hmm. But on any given charity day, at our final table, we had random people at the final table versus two poker pros, a hedge fund guy, and a huge movie producer. Right. Like, right. it's so much fun. That would never happen on a golf court or a basketball court. It's not possible. Right. Poker is the only sport where... You can play against the best players in the world and have a chance to win. You can't go play with LeBron and Kobe and Michael Jordan and win. Right. Zero percent of the time, right? Right. Zero. Literally zero. Yeah. Actually zero. <laughs> but in a poker table, you can win. Right. So I think it's one of the best networking places there is. And even in the smaller games, it doesn't matter. The people you meet, the amount of time you spend together, the mental part of it. I couldn't have ever met some of the people I've met without poker. Just for some people listening, can you talk about like what's mid stakes, what's high stakes, like what kind of buy-ins are we talking about? So small stakes is what considered $1, $2 or $2, $5. That's where you'd buy in for 100 to 200 bucks. The, then it starts to get to like the $500 buy-ins. You start to meet really interesting people when you're playing the games with a $1,000 buy-in. Hmm. Once you get to the $1,000 buy-in, rich guys play those because it's going to be a, small enough that if they lose four or five grand, nothing hurts. Mm -hmm. If they lost 10 or 20 or 30 in the mid-stakes games, they'd be upset, hmm. even if they're a millionaire. Like... You play with rappers like Nelly. They'll play $1,000 games, $2,000 games. They'll be there doing a $50,000 nightclub appearance and play a $1,000 game. Right. DJ Steve Aoki makes $20, $30 million a year. He still likes playing $1,000, $2,000 games. Hmm. You know, we've played five or ten or $1,000 or bigger games, but he enjoys a $1,000 or $2,000 game just the same because he doesn't care if he wins 50 grand. But if he lost 50 grand, he would think about it for two years and bother him, <laughs> even though right. during those two years he made $53 million, right? He would still think about the 50 grand. Right. So... The same reason Bill Gates plays here in Las Vegas, $8, $16. He buys in for 200 to 500 bucks and plays $8, $16 poker. No way. Because why the hell would Bill Gates care about playing $8,000, $16,000? Why would he care about playing $100,000, $200,000 buy-ins? It's irrelevant to him. Right. So he just likes the game. So mm. when you start to get in the games that are $1,000 or $2,000 type buy-ins, yeah. you start to meet some really interesting people in the business space. The bigger games, which I don't recommend playing unless you really, really study poker and really practice a lot. The games that I'm playing where it's $10,000, $50,000, $100,000 buy-ins, obviously those are like household name celebrities and NBA players and business guys of a different stature. That is not worth spending that money to be in those games unless you can afford to play and you afford really, to lose. Yeah. <laughs> and really, really understand the game. You can learn so much playing in the games with 500 bucks, 200 bucks, 1,000 bucks to give yourself that chance if you do become and decide to do those. But from a networking perspective, a lot of entrepreneurs that can afford to play for 500 bucks or a thousand bucks, it's really fascinating who you can network with, but also there's tournaments where you can only lose what you buy in for in one shot. So you can buy into a tournament for 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. You're going to meet lots of people, millionaires and zillionaires and athletes. Everybody plays these thousand dollar tournaments because it's just, they enjoy the tournament and there's, you can't lose more than that thousand bucks. Right. It's a threshold anyway. Yeah. And also go to charity events, the charity poker tournaments, because it, Everybody I just mentioned, they all play at charity events, hmm. all of them. And the charity events are only a couple hundred bucks. Okay. 
what are some like tells that you look for when you play poker that you think have kind of helped you like have an edge on some people when you're like striking a business deal? So the poker table is all about human behavior. The business boardroom or conference is all about human behavior. When you watch somebody, you watch their eyes and you watch gravity. People can't fake gravity. So if somebody's sitting up, they're excited. If somebody's leaning forward towards you, the way I'm to the mic now, if somebody's leaning forward towards you, they're interested. Hmm. If somebody's leaning back in their chair, they're either disinterested or defensive. If their arms are crossed, you know they're defensive. If they're covering their neck, they're actually scared or they're protective. They feel threatened. Hmm. That happens much more in women, that they'll cover their neck. Even if you say strong or aggressive words, a lot of times they'll cover their neck. Looking at gravity and looking the way people look at you or the other people in the room, looking at the way that they're reacting to what you're saying, the interest level is how you can determine if they care. You can determine if you're down the right path. If you start saying something and they're sitting there looking at you and you're talking about a business negotiation, then you say, okay, so I'm going to give you 4%. And they lean back in their chair. They are mad or disinterested because now you've said the number and instead of them getting... Now, if we were talking, I said, okay, so this is how it's going to work and I'm going to give you 50%. Well, they're going to lean forward <laughs> because they might have thought it was going to be 10 or 20 or 30. Right. But yeah. now I said a number that was like, holy shit, it's going to be 50-50. They lean forward because they're excited. But if I said it was 4%, they'd lean back. So understanding human behavior and understanding people's gravity and excitement towards something is huge on the poker table and in the business. Yeah, realistically, for somebody that's listening to this and they're like, man, that sounds really cool. I want to do some of that type of networking. I want to get in some of those games. Where would you recommend they start learning like how to play, like how to read people? So Google search Joe Navarro. So he wrote books on human behavior. He was an FBI agent for 25 years. He's who I studied with, and his books are really good. Awesome. They have photos and really good concepts of how to understand human behavior that transcend the poker table to the business space. So we've touched on networking now. Let's go ahead and take a little bit of a deeper dive before we sign off here. This is a question I ask everybody that comes on the show. It's a way I get the conversation headed in the right direction. Who you know or what you know? Dan, which one's more important and why? Absolutely who you know. It's not even close. Anybody that said what you know is wrong. <laughs> It's really funny because you know, we're, we're sitting in the real Brad Lee's studio right now. Shout out to Brad. Brad and I had a heated discussion when we were like, recording our episode because he said what and I said who. And we went back and forth for like five or six minutes. I can, so. I can help you win the conversation. <laughs> Ready? Good. Yeah, go for it. Because I don't need to know what that expert knows. Hmm. So if I want to get into the fashion space and I want to manufacture stuff, mm -hmm. okay? And my friend's been doing it for 20 years. And they manufacture for this store, this store, this store, and this brand, this brand, this brand. And this guy owns Forever 21 and he knows everybody. And he's got 27 years manufacturing clothes. I'm never going to know what he knows. So I just say, hey, owner Forever 21, I need this manufacturing and I want to get this pricing and I want to get this color and this designer. It's what he knows. It's not what I know. So the who you know, it's not even close, by the way. It's not even like a thing. It's just who you know. Yeah. Because I fast forwarded 27 years of experience. That's the whole thing right there. I fast forwarded 27 years of relationships. I fast forwarded 27 years of struggles and roller coasters. That owner of Forever 21, he knows it all. Right. So if I just say, hey, Alex, can you do this for me? I need this, this, and this. He tells me right away if I'm an idiot, if I'm right, if I'm going down the right path, who I should call, who I should email, who I should go visit, what factory to use, what designer to use, who I should hire. Don't hire that guy because I fired him. He sucks. He knows it all. Right. And that happens in real estate. If I'm going to go flip houses, do I try to do it myself, what I know, or do I call Cole Hatter? Right. Why would I not have Cole Hatter help me flip a house than me? 
Why is it what I know? It's not what I know. It's what they know. I love the fast forwarding thing. That's what I spend the majority of my time. Whenever I have this conversation with somebody, that's what I talk about the most. It's just like, you're skipping the line, right? Like you get to skip rungs on the ladder. You're shortening your runway by so much by being in touch with somebody who's already walked those steps, who's already been at the place that you're wanting to go and who has all the experience and has all the know-how, knowledge, everything to get him to the point where he's trying to go or where you're trying to go. Like, All you got to do is spend time with that person and figure it out with that person and they'll be able to help you get to that point. So can you tell us a little bit, we've already talked a lot about some of the different charity events that you've thrown and people that you've worked with. Can you tell us, just pick out a story of a time that you met a guy who introduced you to another guy, to another guy, to another guy that led to like some sort of big moment of success for you? Yes. So the way I met my best friend, he was the founder of Marvel Studios and we've been- I've never heard of Marvel, what's that? (laughs) And it's been eight years now. And the way we first met is the guy that I met him through, we threw a charity poker tournament together okay. on a cruise ship. And this was back in 2010. So I threw this charity poker tournament on this cruise ship and Bill Zarian and all the poker players went out there and it was a great event. And the guy I threw it with, we raised a bunch of money for the charity and he decided to introduce me to one of the members of his foundation, which was my best friend. Well, now my best friend, not time. That moment of me just helping him with his charity event because he needed, he needed somebody to run a charity poker tournament. Mm-hmm. That simple act that cost me nothing to do that favor for him led me to change my life. I'll give you another one. Also a charity poker tournament that changed my life in the biggest way possible. So last year, a woman came into my office and she needed advice on throwing a charity poker tournament that was coming up three weeks from then. And so my friend texted me, he's in the cryptocurrency space and he was like, hey, I have this lady here. She's here to meet you. Can you give her some advice about her charity poker tournaments coming up in a few weeks? I said, sure. I go upstairs. I'm talking to her for like 15 minutes. And then she says the date and the buy-in was really expensive. I was like, wait a minute. Is that for Arnold Schwarzenegger's charity poker tournament? She's like, oh yeah, I'm the director of Arnold's charity for the last five years. I was like, wait, wait, wait. My girlfriend's favorite person in the world is Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm going to come to your event. I'm going to have him help me propose to her at your charity event. Because that's at Arnold's house. No way. So she starts crying. I start crying. Everybody's crying. And like, they all <laughs> get all excited about this idea that I'm going to propose. So she came to me for advice. Yeah. I gave her this advice. Three weeks later, I'm on my knee and Arnold Schwarzenegger is handing my girl the ring. Wow. All from a moment of giving my free advice to somebody. She could have been running Joe Schmo's charity poker. Right. And I still would have done the same 15 minutes of giving her stuff. Mm -hmm. So that brings me to this question that I I really want to ask you. You've built relationships, obviously, with a bunch of, I mean, A-list celebrities, top entrepreneurial influencers, athletes, list goes on and on. So what is the number one most important practice that has allowed you to build a network of that capacity? So I really, really, really rarely ask them for anything. I provide them stuff. And what I provide them is things that they can't buy. Because all the people you just mentioned are rich. Mm -hmm. And they can buy whatever they want. But they can't buy access. And they can't buy cool. And they can't buy information. So what I do is I throw my monthly events, obviously the elevator nights. And I throw charity events. And I send them articles or things that are relevant to them. Or I send them things that will make them think about me, that I'm the one that brought it to them. Hmm. So somebody's directing a movie or somebody's an athlete and they want to meet this company or this project or they don't know that they want to meet it. Let's say you're an athlete and I invested into some company that helps with knees and it's like a cooling pad, for example. I sit there and text 32 athletes on my phone. Hey, I just invested in this company. Check them out. Oh, hey, what's your address? I'm going to send you a free thing. Yeah, they don't yeah. need a free ice cooling pack for their knee money-wise. Mm-hmm. But if that thing just came out 
and they have no access to it yet, or just they heard about it first, and then two years from now it gets big, and they think of me that it got, right? Right, right. So whenever I have an event, a charity event, even if I know they can't make it, I still send the invite. So if I know this NBA player is traveling, but I'm throwing a charity event or my birthday party September 1st, I'm still going to sit there and spend six hours straight texting hundreds of people that I know can't come. Hmm. Because the idea is, hey, I'm throwing my birthday party. If you can make it, if you're traveling. And I always say, if you're going to be in LA, blah, 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 blah. Right. Providing value to them to come to my birthday party that I'm, I don't want anything from them. Right. Mm-hmm. So throwing the events, giving them access to information, giving them access to deals or products or scenarios, just making them feel like I care. It's just so rare that I ask for anything. It's just so rare. Yeah. Adding um, value just on a massive scale. Now, when I do ask for something, I'm very, very direct about it. Hmm. And it's not that they owe me anything. It's just a yes or no scenario. Yeah. Whenever I think that they should meet somebody that's beneficial to them, I'm really, really good about like, hey, I CC them on email or a group chat. Mm-hmm. Hey, this person, you own a retail store chain and this guy wants to sell into your product. Or hey, you need an investor. This is the guy that's got a company that they've already raised 500K. They need 100 more. I do that a lot for free, hmm. which has caused people to make a lot of money. Too many times I did it for free. Hundreds of times, people joke about it. Like they have formed companies together that have gone on to do tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars because of me saying, hey, Peter, meet Paul. Right, right. And I don't regret any of that. Hmm. Yeah, but that is exactly why you've been able to build what you've been able to build. Is And we, me, you and I were kind of talking about this off mic before we sat down, is that the reason that you have the network that you have is because of the things that you were doing, not like in spite of those things, right? right? So a lot of people get it the wrong way. They'll like what we were talking about, low level, they'll print a business card and be like, I'm networking now, right? High level, they'll make this introduction, right? Peter, meet Paul. But then it'll be like, oh, in this contract now, make sure you cut me in on that deal because like I need to get paid because I made the introduction. You guys wouldn't have any of this without me. So, you know, I better get paid on this. On certain scenarios, I wish I did that. Hmm. On certain scenarios, you should do that. When it's a complete financial transaction, it's okay to ask for that. When it's something that's going to take months or it's an evolving thing or you're not sure if it's going to close, it's much harder and it's much more awkward to try to be the middleman for that. Mm -hmm. But if it's like, hey, real estate agent's going to sell this house and hey, I have this millionaire that I know wants to buy that house and Mm -hmm. you want to to share in their 6%. It's far more transactional than relational in that regard. Right. And if if it's like, hey, this guy likes to buy oil for this, whatever, he buys oil Mm -hmm. and you know some guy that sells oil and that's just a straight up transactional thing. It's okay to ask for some percentage of that because it's a straight up cash right. thing. Mm-hmm. If you're setting people up to make a relationship, like, hey, music producer, meet this musician. Mm-hmm. And if in the future you, you ever you generate famous, any revenue. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. just not it. Yeah. <laughs> I've had people literally do that to me. They try to just, they try to monetize a person. Like yes. they have their Rolodex. And so because they have their Rolodex, they try to monetize every single, I've just told them like, hey, bro, don't send any more people my way right? because like, I'm not interested. Right. I'm not interested in having this IOU, this debt to you right. and the rest of my life right. until I try to figure out a way to pay it back. Right. Like if you want to send some people my way, great. If not, like if you're trying to always, you know, make me sign a, a verbal contract, yes. so to speak, right. you know, or they create a covert contract in their head that says that I need to be doing, you know, X, Y, and Z for you because you did this for me. Like, don't bother. Right. <laughs> don't, because I don't, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And then what it also does is it closes off their hand from being able to receive anything from me as well. Anyway, so we have covered a lot of stuff 
today, Dan, and we, we've talked a little bit about the events that you put on all the time. You have one that's coming up that's basically the biggest one that you've ever put on, and oh, that's yeah. coming up on September 1st. Talk to us about that. So that's my birthday. So it's my excuse to do my biggest event ever. Happy early birthday. Because uh, Thank you. Yeah. So I say it's my excuse because all the influencers have to come, all the speakers have to come because it's, it's my birthday. So yeah. I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> like I might as well use it. Yeah. So normally our events are three hours. Those are normally from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Okay. This one's going to be all day and night. Wow. So 12 p.m. start, eight hours of speakers. We have Andy Frisella, Brad Lee, Ed Milet, Cole Hatter, Mark Lack, Billy Jean. There's just so many. It's just Heavy hitters. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be 30 <laughs> speakers. 30 speakers in eight hours. Yeah. Well, there's going to be 10 speakers and then five panels. Okay. Five panels of five. So 35 speakers. And that's going to be eight hours of just intense, straightforward, very few breaks. Like some, there's only three 10-minute breaks. Wow. We're just going for it. My rent's at a really big venue. It's called the Hollywood Palladium. It can hold over 1,000 people. Standing room, it can hold 4,000 people. At 8 o'clock, Andy Fursella is going to get up there and tell people to pick up their chairs, move them to the corner, just like we were kids in school. And we're going to have Wiz Khalifa come out there and perform. Yeah, who's that? Um, <laughs> That's come, awesome. Come, come see. So then from 9 p.m. to midnight, it'll be my birthday party. Awesome. So we're going to have Wiz host it and... You know, bring in a couple hundred social media influencers that we work with. It's going to be an all-day, really, really good event. And what I like about it is each of the speakers, almost unanimously, all of them, texted me asking, what would I like them to talk about? Which is nice that they didn't come in, and I would be fine if they did. Mm -hmm. They didn't come in just, hey, okay, I'm going to give my normal speech. Right. They actually asked which direction, which was really fascinating, especially coming from the household names that I just mentioned. Of course, yeah. And there's more of them. There's... Cole Hatter, there's a bunch of the guys that are all coming. And each one of them, you know, asked that. And it was really nice and very refreshing to see that this is going to be one, not one of, it will be the most unique event for this. Yeah. And we're trying to make it really, truly stand out because the idea is to then replicate it. Elevator nights will always stay the three hours. Mm -hmm. But the elevator boot camp, I really feel like this one will be the culmination of all the future ones. I think this will be the one that people realize we're onto something. Right. Because my partner and I, Brandon Hampton, we're like Switzerland. We're friends with all the speakers and all the authors and all the entertainers and influencers. Like we're just, we're the one that can be friendly with absolutely everybody mm-hmm. and both sides of the competition and to have them all in one space and all happily being there. I think we're going to be one of the few that can do that. Yeah. No kidding. Probably the only, <laughs> which yeah. is definitely why I wanted to talk about it here. Obviously the show is called Build Your Network. So we talk quite a bit about networking and events and which ones to avoid, which ones to sure. be at. And this is for sure one to be at. So yeah. I will definitely be there. And if you're listening to this, I highly recommend that you book a ticket. Where can they find those? Elevatorbootcamp.com. Elevatorbootcamp.com. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Let's move on. We've got the last segment here, something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with it. some quick random answers. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Poker. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Harry Houdini. Hmm. He created infamy before there was any phones, before there was TV, before there was anything. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Videos. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I wake up, I try to avoid my phone for a few minutes and I don't, and I go through my phone. And, and I do sometimes as, forced, like yeah, this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and I just do as many emails and texts I can to get it out of the way. Then the next hour or two is really just preparing for the day of like setting up everything with my fiance and food and shower. Like I just get everything done, 
to prepare for the day, but I, I do that after I do the first hour of just responding to everything I can. And I don't have urgency to respond to everybody right away because it's not mathematically possible to respond to hundreds of people in group chats and social media. And I was going to ask you how many people or how many messages you think you send out on a daily basis. I do 800 texts a day on average. Wow. <laughs> what is your go-to pump-up song? All I do is win, win, win. Yes, that is a good one. That is a good one. It's always at the top of my playlist because it starts with an A. So it's like I put it, I like turn my car on and like that starts playing. That used to be the right. that used to be the theme song online poker site. That was the song we use in all of our videos. Yeah, that's not misleading for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what is something that you are not very good at? There's a lot of things. I don't know. It's not that I don't know because they don't exist. I just don't know what the, I don't know. If there's any what to narrow in on. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you surround yourself with a bunch of people. The things that I'm not good at, I'm really blunt and blatant about it. I yeah. can't think of what to say here, but I have the people to do that for me. Yeah. To make I, it. Because I have to. Of course. I know I'm not going to get good at them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a skill in and of itself. As we get everything wrapped up here, Dan, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? All my social media, my Instagram especially, they're Instagram all the same. Especially. It's just at Dan Fleischman, okay. whether it's Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, it's all the same. But my Instagram is the most fun and like, it's not just all information. We I try to create events and charity and then fun, silly stuff with my girl. Like I try to make it more entertaining than just business, business, business. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So head over to Instagram. That's at Dan Fleischman, F-L-E-Y-S-H-M-A-N at Dan Fleischman. And then also definitely go to elevatorbootcamp.com, pick up a ticket, and I will see you there on September 1st. Dan, thanks so much for coming to the show today, brother. Awesome. I had a blast chatting with you. I appreciate it. Well, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You might hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds on the show. They are literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. So if this is something that you are interested in at all, which it should be, then hit me up and let's chat to see if you would be a good fit for my mastermind, Build Your Network Alpha. Just shoot an email over to travis at buildyournetwork.co and let's talk about it. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.